1: Tomb on that first Easter morning represents the fulfilled promise of God to each of us as we celebrate Christ during Easter and throughout the year. Listening today as Pastor Rander continues to explore the significance of the risen Christ in this message, He is not here; He is risen. He'll be speaking from Luke chapter twenty-four, verses one through eight. Now let's listen in. Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for the preaching of the gospel. Help me to preach down the power of your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would move on the hearts of your people, save, revive. I pray that others be compelled to rededicate their lives to Jesus. Oh, Lord, give us a glorious time of ministry. We pray against satanic distractions in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, turn with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Is our test? The Scripture says, "Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also was received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture." and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And from this particular passage of scripture, we want to preach the good news of our Savior's resurrection. The good news of our Savior's resurrection. As we look around in a world and nation, for the most part, we see and hear nothing but bad news. We see one crisis after another, one disaster after another. We see things such as wildfires, hurricanes, tornadoes, a tremendous freeze, uh, an immigration crisis at the borders of our nation, human trafficking. We see murder, abortion, sexual immorality, idolatry. We look around in our nation, we see political upheaval, racism, confusion, riots, lawlessness, struggling economies, and a global pandemic, to name the few. And one may wonder after being overwhelmed with so much bad news, is there any good news in the world in which we live today? Where's the good news? And the answer is a resounding yes there is good news. The Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest news on planet earth. God the Father, seeing the devastating ruins, ravages, and hopelessness of sin and the depravity of man out of his great love and mercy, sent his one and only son to be born of a virgin to save us from our sins. He truly is good news in a world filled with Bad news in a world filled with the works of Satan, the works of demons, the works of sin, and spiritual darkness. Jesus is good news in the midst of bad news. Why don't you say amen? Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says and she will bring forth a son and you will you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. John 3:16 also says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that's good news. Now that's great news. And now that's surely exciting news. Satan is always been relentlessly assaulting the resurrection of Christ for the purpose of keeping the unsaved lost in their sins and believers doubting this essential doctrine of the Christian faith. The apostle Paul founded the church in Corinth and taught and preached passionately to them. Let me tell you something about Corinth. Corinth was a Greek city that was filled with corruption and idolatry all over the place. It was a profitable and powerful commercial center with two nearby seaports, and it was a very immoral city with over 1,000 sacred prostitutes in the temple of Aphrodite. Most in that pagan society did not believe in the resurrection of Christ from the dead, and this skepticism And this skeptical attitude, it invaded the church where Paul had to address the truth about the resurrection as the foundation and capstone of the Christian faith because some believers were struggling and had even begun to doubt and even deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ while others were grappling to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In this particular passage, Paul does not teach about philosophy. In this passage, Paul does not preach about world religion. In this passage, Paul does not preach about myths. In this passage, Paul does not preach about fables. In this passage, Paul does not preach about human traditions. He stays and remains committed to that which was spiritually transformative in nature which is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, and he builds a persuasive and convincing case for the resurrection of Christ, which leads us into our passage for today. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive and in which you stand, by which you also are saved. If you hold fast that which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. After Paul gives the historical facts of the gospel, he shares what the church and individual believers are to do with the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With that being said, allow me to transition. What does God require believers to do with the gospel? I mean, what does he When we are saved, we're just not saved to be saved. Uh, We are saved by the grace of God, and we ought to be so thankful that we say that we be proactive with the gospel that saved us, which leads me to the question, what does God require believers to do with the gospel? Number one, God requires that the gospel be preached so that sinners can be saved, backsliders can return to Jesus to heal the brokenhearted, and liberate those who are held captive by sin. That's what the gospel does, my friend. Allow me to reiterate for those who are writing. God requires that the gospel be preached to uh, sinners so that they can be saved, that backsliders can return to Jesus the gospel is for the purpose of healing the brokenhearted, the downcast, the trodden, and to liberate those who are held captive by sin. First Corinthians fifteen one says "Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you in the gospel of Luke chapter four, verse 18. It also says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Beloved, when the gospel of Christ is unleashed, the gospel will save. The gospel will revive. The gospel heals. And the gospel brings transformation like nothing else can. There is power in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, number two, what does God require believers to do with the gospel? Believers must receive the gospel. Believers must receive the gospel. Verse 1b says, which also you receive. Just underline those little phrases, which also you receive. Paul led the Corinthian believers to Christ and disciple them. Once you come to Christ, then you need to be disciple in Christ. A disciple is a learner and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. After one hears the gospel, he must believe and receive it as a free gift from God. It was free to us, but it cost God the Son his very life. Ephesians 2:8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a free gift from God. It is a free gift to us because God sent his son to die in our place. He took the hit that we could receive this free gift from God. The scripture also says in John 1 12, it says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. You do not become a child of God until you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, in the name of Jesus. If we desire to be saved, we must accept Christ as our personal savior. Number three, believers are saved by the gospel of Christ exclusively. Believers are saved by the gospel of Christ exclusively. Verse 2a says, by which also you are saved. Look at that. To be saved is to be delivered or rescued from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin. Again, to be saved is to be delivered or rescued from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin. The preaching of Christ saves us from spiritual death. The preaching of the gospel saves us from eternal separation from God. The preaching of Christ saves us from the wrath of God to come. You must not think, not even for a second, that there are many ways into the kingdom of God. After all, why would God send his one and only son to redeem us from our sins and purchase our salvation and then turn around and give us many ways into the kingdom of God? Oh, my God. My friends, there's only one way into the kingdom, and that's through Christ alone. Uh, John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, only through Christ. Acts 4:12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Except the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name where every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Number four, believers are to stand in the gospel. Believers are to what? Stand in the gospel. Verse 1c says, in which you stand. See, I'm taking these phrases and elaborating and exegeting them. In which you stand. To stand is to abide in Christ. When you're standing in Christ, you remain fixed in Christ. When you stand, you remain steadfast in Christ. You are unwavering. It means to hold your position. To stand in Christ is to be immovable in Christ and to possess an unshakable faith in Christ and his words in the midst of confusion. To stand for Christ in the midst of satanic deception. To stand in Christ in the midst of false teachings to stand in Christ in the midst of escalating evil, to stand in Christ in the midst of fear and worry and through all the trials of life. Be mindful that one cannot stand unless he is on a sure foundation, which is Christ, because any other foundation is destined to crumble and fail. A sure indication that one is saved is that he or she is standing and persevering in Christ. Regardless of your trials, you keep standing. Regardless of your persecution, you keep on standing. Regardless of your rejection and hurt, you keep on standing. Regardless of apostasy and others, falling away from the church and falling away from the faith. You can't find them. Don't want to have anything to do with God anymore. Don't you let that discourage you. You stand and you keep on standing and you keep on standing and you keep on being unshakable and you keep on being unmovable and you keep on holding your position until Jesus comes. I'm amazed that so many saints have allowed the pandemic to cause them to be afraid. So many have allowed the pandemic to cause them to live in isolation and fear and self-preservation. So many saints have become apathetic, distancing themselves from the church and are no longer standing in the gospel. Beloved, you'll keep standing for Christ if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Not fixed on politics, not fixed on people and personalities, trials and what's happening in the world. Your ship will sink. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you will be standing till Jesus comes. Number five believers are to hold fast to the gospel preached to them. Believers are to hold fast to the gospel preached to them. Verse two says by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. To preach is to announce. To preach is to herald the gospel. To preach is to declare or make known the good news of Jesus Christ. You get that? To preach is to announce the gospel, to herald the gospel, to declare or make known the good news of Jesus Christ. But sadly, today in many pulpits, there is less of an emphasis on Christ-centered preaching, which leaves the church anemic, weak, and unstable. If there is ever a time when pastors need to be dispensing the gospel of Christ, it is right now when many believers are despondent, many believers are depressed, many believers are stressed, living in crisis, many Christians are suicidal, and many Christians are hopeless. And we need to be preaching because the gospel gives assurance. The gospel gives peace. The gospel gives encouragement. The gospel gives hope. The gospel helps you keep on standing and standing and standing and standing and standing until Jesus comes. 2 Timothy 4, 2 says, preach
2: the word.
1: Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke exhort with all longsuffering and teaching to hold fast means to embrace the gospel of Christ which keep us secure in the word of God and the gospel is our blessed hope It is our blessed hope. If believers do not hold fast to the true gospel of Christ, then we believe in vain. When one believes the gospel, hold fast to the word of God and endures in Christ unto death, it validates that you are saved. Let me say that again. When a Christian believes the gospel, holds fast to the word of God, and endures in Christ unto death, it validates that you are in Christ and that you are saved. Then let's transition to the gospel defined. The gospel defined first Corinthians 15, three and four says, for I delivered to you first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. According to the scripture, this is the gospel defined and it's the heart of the gospel. After Paul's conversion, he shared what he believed and received about Christ. In Acts chapter 9 verses 3 through 5a, we have the conversion of Paul by Jesus. The scripture says in verse 3 of Acts chapter 9, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, when God calls your name twice, you better watch out one time is pretty good but when he calls it twice ooh you better tremble (laughs) Saul Saul while you persecuting me and he said ooh you Lord (laughs) then the Lord said I am Jesus wow very person he was persecuting he says I am Jesus whom you are persecuting Saul Beloved, to persecute the church is to persecute the Lord himself. When someone persecutes you for standing for Christ, for believing for Christ, for shining for Christ, they are actually persecuting Jesus himself. Beloved, to persecute the church is to persecute the Lord himself. Not long after Paul's conversion, the Lord sent Paul to Arabia where he was prepared for ministry by the Lord himself. He said, I want you to have some time to me. Get yourself down to Arabia. (laughs) Galatians chapter 1 verses 15 through 7 says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. There it is, and returned again to Damascus. God began to minister to Saul, who was converted to Paul in Arabia. He said, You're going to have some one on one time with me, you rascal. I got to deal with you first before the men start discipling you. You come down here. I'm just paraphrasing now. Let me deal with you and let me teach you some things and let me minister to you. I'm going to prepare you so that you are ready for ministry. In Acts 8, 9 through 17, Galatians 1, 18 through 19 and Galatians 2, 9, we also learn that Paul, after God had finished with him, was discipled by Ananias and the apostles. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:3, "For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received," see that? He was referring to what he received from the Lord, the disciples, as well as the apostles, and all whom invested in Paul's spiritual life, which he in turn delivered to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3b it says, "Christ died for our sins according to the scripture." Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Now, this proves that Jesus had a real physical body. It says he died for our sins. As a matter of fact, he was born to die. If he did not die, there would be no resurrection. Beloved, you must believe in the death of Christ before you can be saved by him. When Paul states, according to the scriptures, it is a reference to the scriptures that prophesied about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament scriptures is replete and filled with prophecies concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at a few of them. In Psalms 22, 1a, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalms 22, 7 and 8 says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Psalms 22:15 says, my strength is dried up like portion and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Prophesying about the cross. You lay me in dust of death. Psalms 22, 16b says, they pierce my hands and my feet. Look at the prophecy. Psalms 22, 17 and 18 says, I can count all my bones. People stare at me and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Look at Isaiah 53, uh, 3 through 5. It says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Look at those marvelous messianic verses as it relates to the coming Messiah who took our pain, suffering, and all the horrendous agonies of the cross that we would be saved from our sins. The Holy Scripture prophesied about the coming Messiah, his death, burial, and resurrection. Christ fulfills biblical prophecy with 100% accuracy, which validates that the Bible is true. It was prophesied thousands of years ago and yet came to fruition. Verse 4a says, and that he was buried. See that? The reason we know Jesus died is because he was buried. It is not normative to bury someone who is alive. Jesus was buried because he died a literal death in his physical body on the cross. Jesus did not faint. He said, how do you know he didn't faint? Well, the graphic scene of our Savior on the cross gave proof of his death. It was a graphic scene. He couldn't faint through all of that. He died through all of that. For example, his hands and feet were nailed to the cross. His side was pierced. A crown of thorns were placed on his head, and he bled profuse, as he bled profusely. He experienced indescribable humiliation and pain as the perfect sacrificial lamb of God to take away the sins of all who would place their trust in him alone for salvation. Verse 4b also says, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Jesus Being raised from the dead the third day is ultimate proof that he is our risen Savior and lives forever. Let me say it again. Jesus being raised from the dead the third day is ultimate proof that he is our risen Savior and he lives forever. How many of you believe that? Can you say amen?
2: Located at 7855 East Loop 1604 North in Commerce, Texas, or call us at 210 821 5683. Join the Maranatha Bible Church family on Resurrection Sunday, April 9th, for our 8 a.m. worship celebration, children's program at 9.30 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. worship celebration as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. What a blessing it is to know that Christ Jesus lives today and every day.